With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning to those who are on the east coast of the United States, and also the west coast, and all other areas of the United States. It is 11.31 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, my name is Kennard. I am the host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. This program is for those who really want to know what the Bible says. The Feast of Trumpets, or Yom Teror, which means the day of the sounding of the Shofar, or Trumpet, or Rosh Hashanah, which means ahead of the year, the first of the year is called either Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teror, or uh, those English-speaking peoples, they understand it to be the Feast of Trumpets based on the King James Version. So that day is coming up. Well, I know Jews are celebrating it uh, on Sunday, but of course we um, go by the new moon calendar. My assembly and, and other Messianic assemblies uh, are starting to go by the new moon calendar, and that could, it could happen either Monday at evening, because that's when the day begins according to the Bible, when the sun sets, uh, either Monday at evening or Tuesday at evening, according to when um, the the uh, new moon is sighted by the the first sliver uh, of the uh, sliver, meaning the light, the first light shining on the moon, and then uh, the way they did it back uh, during uh, Old Testament times, uh, they observed the moon like that. Once they saw the light, they knew there was a new moon, and then the following day became New Moon Day, and that's what the Feast of Trumpets is, or Yom Teror, is a New Moon Day and a Holy Day, a Shabbat, so a festival day. So I'm going to explain what this day is about, how we observe it, and what it pictures. But first, before I get into that, I must address some very important world news right now uh, because of this ridiculous movie that was, to, I think it was distributed over the internet, has caused the Arab world to just start uh, 
uh, being very upset about it, and they are attacking um, assembly, actually um, U.S. embassies around the world. It occurs in, in another area now in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, there are some serious problems there, so we need to be praying um, for uh, protection of, of humans. Uh, but things are going to get worse, as the Bible predicts, and we need to be prepared for those things. And uh, let me look at watch.org here. I have repeatedly on this program have tried to warn people that uh, things are very imminent now and we need to be preparing. We need to be preparing. I'm going to look at a few scriptures here in reference to that. And that's what really the Festival of Trumpets is about, too, preparing for a time of war, a time of judgment. Um, on watch.org, it says, Panetta says, Pentagon pre-positioning forces for additional unrest. It says, with anti-American demonstrations spreading across the Middle East and North Africa, Defense Secretary Leon Panetta told Foreign Policy's National Security Channel on Friday evening that the United States is positioning military forces so they can respond to unrest in as many as 17 or 18 places that the Pentagon is paying particular attention to. But he cautioned against writing off the region's recent moves toward democracy. So, and then there's another article stating that the State Department sets up a 24-hour monitoring team for embassy crisis. It says the State Department has gone into full-blown crisis mode, organizing a round-the-clock effort to coordinate the United States government's response to the expanding attacks on U.S. embassies in the Middle East and North Africa. I quote, the State Department has stood up a 24-hour monitoring team to ensure appropriate coordination of information and our response. In addition, our consular team is working with missions around the world to protect American citizens and issue appropriate public warden information, a senior, end of quote, a senior State Department official told reporters Friday afternoon. So anyway, things are heating up, folks, and we need to be prepared for the worst. You don't want to not be prepared. Uh, let me quote a few scriptures here in, in light of that, so hopefully it will encourage you to be prepared uh, for things here because, as I try to emphasize here, things are going to get really bad. This is one of my most uh, popular scriptures that I like to quote. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, it says, A prudent man foresees the evil and height of himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So um, here's another variation of this scripture in the 1965 Bible in basic English version. It says, the sharp man sees the evil and takes cover. The simple go straight on and get into trouble. So you need to take what I'm telling you, folks, very seriously and prepare. Even FEMA tells you to prepare for any type of emergencies. Uh, when there was a Katrina, when there was Katrina, those poor people, a lot of them, they would have been in a better shape if they would have had food storage, uh, sufficient food storage and everything. And, and quite frankly, if they would have listened and would have gotten out of there uh, as they were warned, they would not have been in that situation in the first place. So we have to use our common sense and, and realize this world is not at peace, folks, and it never will be until the world starts keeping the Torah. The Torah is what brings peace, folks. The Torah is what is translated in the King James Bible as law. Torah means the teachings and, and doctrines of Elohim or God. 
and we have failed miserably as a human race collectively obeying consistently those laws and that's the reason why we have disturbances right now in the Middle East and around the world because of failure to do that uh, Psalms 119 Psalms 119 beginning in verse 165 the definition of peace great peace have lovers of your law uh, this is in the Bible and basic English version, 1965. Great peace have lovers of your law, or Torah. They have no cause for falling. And then in verse 166, Lord, my hope has been in your salvation, and I have kept your teaching. So you hope for salvation when you keep the teachings, doctrines and laws, or Torah, of Elohim. Elohim is Hebrew for God. All right, so that is important for you to understand. And times are going to get tough, folks, and, and I'm just trying to to tell you these things so that you'll be prepared. Let's look in the old King James Version, what Yeshua stated, um, Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming? and the end of the world, the end of the harvest. Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive or trick you. Verse 5, For many, not the few, many shall come in my name, saying, I am Messiah, Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 6, So you should understand that there will be great trickery and great deception, many different religions claiming to be all true, and hardly any of them are. That's what he's talking about. Verse 6, and you shall hear wars and rumors of wars, just like we're hearing right now as I'm speaking. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, for nations should be translated tribe or family shall rise against family, and kingdom against kingdom. World War Three is coming, folks, and there shall be famines, that means starvations, and pestilence, diseases, because when you starve, you don't have enough food, it brings diseases. And earthquakes, and you don't eat properly, it brings diseases as well. Earthquakes in various places. All these things will be in various places around the world, and it is. And verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Just the beginning, folks. So you need to be prepared for this. And what the Festival Trumpets pictures is. Um, a time of great stress, a time of judgment upon the earth. That's what it pictures, but it also pictures some other things, some beautiful things, and I'll, we'll get into that. Um, I want to quote another scripture here that's significant, Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20. It states, Come, my people, enter into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. Verse 21, For behold, the Lord comes out of his place. And this is what this pictures again. The festival of trumpets, Yom Teror, pictures this. To punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood, and shall be, or actually, and shall know, 
more cover her slain. So that's what's going to occur here in the future, which is pictured by the Festival of Trumpets. It's a time of war. Um, Rosh Hashanah is also called, it means the head of the year. I'm going to explain what that is, the first of the year. And Yom Teror means the day of the sounding of the shofar. shofar. So let's keep that in mind. Um, many people think there may be, or a few anyway, thinks that there may be an October surprise. World War III may start next month. I don't know. These are things that I'm hearing, but but Yeshua state there will be rumors of wars, but among the rumors there will be actual wars, and that's why I listen to the rumors because eventually, <laughs> as Yeshua stated, there's going to be a war among the rumors. So we need to continue to listen, uh, as Luke chapter 21 tells us. Let's quote that scripture again because I know there's pe- many people around the world that are asleep. You need to start waking up, folks. You need to start waking up to reality, and you need to to um, start listening to people that know what they're talking about in terms of the Bible and start to obey. Luke chapter 21, verse 34, and the Bible in basic English version, 1965. But give attention to yourselves. And this is what the Messiah stated, Yeshua, Jesus, for those who aren't familiar with his Hebrew name. Yeshua, Luke 21, verse 34, But give attention to yourselves, for fear that your hearts become overfull of the pleasures of food and wine, like we are in this country and around the world, uh, particularly in Canada, uh, the countries in northwestern Europe, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. We have the majority of resources around the world, the richest resources around the world in those areas in France, and and Britain and so forth and and we have an overabundance of things. It says, but give attention to yourselves for fear that your hearts become overfull of the pleasures of food and wine, and the cares of this life, and that that day may come on you suddenly and take you as in a net. Talking about the day of the Lord, uh, the sounding of these trumpets that's going to lead to that, which is uh, outlined in Revelation chapter eight and nine and culminated in uh, Revelation chapter 11, uh, when it is announced that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And uh, you may be wondering, well, why are they going to become the kingdoms? Uh, I thought the kingdoms of this world were already God's. Well, that's an interesting um, observation, and I will explain that uh, in the entirety of this program. But anyway... Uh, verse 35, it says, For so it will come on all those who are living on the face of all the earth. Verse 36, but he's, he's talking about believers who are wise enough to watch. It says, but keep watch. And that's what the Festival of Trumpets is about, too. Keeping watch at all times with prayer, that you may be strong enough to come through all these things and take your place before the Son of Man. All right, so. I'm going to quote this from, most of it anyways, from Judaism 101, which is a pretty good website for you to go and study, because um, Christ stated that salvation is of the Jews, so that means many of what they teach is correct, quite a bit, matter of fact, is correct. So we need to to go to the Jews to get a deeper understanding of what the Bible is talking about. Uh, after all, our Lord and Savior I think many Christians perhaps may forget this, or maybe they take it for granted. But our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, is a Jew, folks. So let, let's understand that. So in order to really understand him, you need to 
study Judaism, because he certainly did. And he accepted many of their customs and traditions as long as they did not violate the Torah or teachings or law of God. Okay, so I'm quoting this. Uh, actually, I wanted to quote another scripture here where it says uh, in Romans, uh, Shaul or Paul stated a significant thing about uh, the Jews. Uh, in verse 1, he says, How then is the Jew better off, or what profit is there in circumcision, or a, a literal Jew? Uh, two, much in every way, first of all, and see, th- this is significant, much, not little, much in every way. First of all, because the words of God were given to them. The whole Bible is written by Jews, folks, with the, perhaps the exception of Luke. Um, Luke, uh, I think he either may have converted over to a Jew or he was considered probably a Jew because he was around Jews all the time. But anyway, verse 3, and if some have no faith, will that make the faith of God without effect? Okay, so... Christ states here, in other words, if some Jews don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, does that make the faith of God without effect? No. Verse 4, no way, but let God be true, though every man is is, is uh, seen to be untrue, as it is said in the writings, that your words may seem, be seen to be true, and you may be seen to be right when you are judged. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that we need to pay attention to what the Jews have written, because a lot of it is accurate. So anyway, this quote in Judaism 101, Judaism 101, uh, you can Google that and uh, enlighten yourself with all the knowledge contained in it. It says, Judaism has several different New Years, a concept which may seem strange at first. But think of it this way. The American New Year starts in January, but the new school year starts in September. And many businesses have fiscal years that start at various times of the year. In Judaism, Nisan 1 is the new year for the purpose of counting the reign of kings and the months on the calendar. So if we just go to um, Exodus chapter 12 here. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I'm still reading this in the um, basic English version here. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, verse 2, Let this month be to you the first of months, the first month of the year. And this is talking about the first month of the year in reference to kings and months on the calendar. Now, Elu 1 in August is the new year for the tithing of animals. Shavat 15 in February is the new year for trees, determining when first fruits can be eaten. By the way, I've totally revised my tithes and offerings article. I'm still going to make some other revisions, but it's revised enough for you to get something out of it. I really encourage and implore you to read that. I really explain what the first fruits are and and how to give, when to give, and how much to give based on, on the Bible. So I, I really encourage you to read that. So anyway, Shavuot 15 in February is the new year for trees, determining when first fruits can be eaten, and Tishri 1, which is coming up soon here, Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Teror, is the new year for years, when we increase the number. Sabbatical and Jubilee years begin at this time. So, and this is also verified by Exodus. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 23, verse 16. But it says, and the feast of grain cutting, which is uh, Shavuot, the first fruits of your planted fields, and the feast of the start of the year when you have gotten all the fruit from your fields. So that's a very good translation. That's talking about 
the festival of Sukkot uh, around that time. All right, and around this time, that that's that's when the Jews get the idea that Tishri one is the start of a new year. Although it's not the start of the new year as far as the months on the calendar. All right, uh, Exodus chapter thirty-four. Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 22. It says, And you are to keep the Feast of Weeks when you get in the first fruits of the grain and the feast at the turn of the year when you take in the produce of your field. So, again, that's talking about the Festival of Tabernacles, which happens around the time of the uh, Festival of Trumpets. Uh, John Gill, who was a Hebrew scholar, he states this about the, uh, in the King James Version, says the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end, which was the Feast of Tabernacles called the Feast of Ingathering because at this time all the fruits of the earth, the corn, wine, and oil, and all others were gathered in, and this was at the close of the old year, at the beginning of the new, according to the ancient account, which made Tishri a September the first month in the year. And this is talking about, again, a different type of year. It's a new year for years. But it's different than Nisan 1, which is the new year for the purpose of counting the reign of kings and the months on the calendar. Okay? So I would say that Nisan 1 is the, truly the new year as far as uh, keeping time. But Rosh Hashanah appears to be uh, the secular new year outside of the Bible year that the Jews celebrate. All right, so let's actually look at the command to observe today. Uh this is found in Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus chapter 23, uh, beginning in verse 24. I'll read this in the complete Jewish Bible version here. It says, Tell the people of Israel, in the seventh month, the first of the month is to be for you a day of complete rest for remembering a holy convocation announced with blasts on the shofar of trumpets. And verse 25, do not do any kind of ordinary work and bring an offering made by fire to Adonai or the Lord. So there should be giving on this day. Um, that's what, uh, hold your place here and turn to Hebrews, because I know that we don't uh, give animals and so forth and grain offerings, but because uh, no temple, but what did these things symbolize? What's, what's the spiritual significance of it? And Hebrews tells you that. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 15, it states, and this is in the complete Jewish Bible version, Through him, therefore, let us offer God a sacrifice of praise continually. Uh, that has something to do with prayer. Um, we should sing, and we should also do good works. But this is the natural product of lips that acknowledge his name. Verse 16, but don't forget doing good and sharing with others. For with such sacrifices or offerings, God is well pleased. So we should, on, on these days, as I uh, explained in the article I wrote, uh, tithes and offerings, on these days, we should definitely be th thinking about giving. Uh, if we're around Torah teachers, we should be giving them something, giving them um, an offering or food or, or clothes or things that they need. This is the time that God commands us to give. Okay. Numbers, chapter 29, goes into detail about what we should give on this day. Now, of course, we have to look at this spiritually because we're doing spiritual sacrifices, as Christ stated, that um, there will come a time where we will worship God in spirit, 
and in truth and what is true. Psalm 119, verse 142 is the entire teachings of God. All right? So that means that we do the best that we can to observe these days. We can't use the excuse, oh, uh, there's no temple, and forget about it. No. Uh, he still wants us to do the best we can to observe these days. All right, so Numbers chapter 29, beginning in verse 1, gives you detailed descriptions of what they did in the past and what you should be doing spiritually today. Uh, verse 1. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you are to have a holy convocation or assembly. Do not do any kind of ordinary work. Ordinary work. You can do work that's related to um, the work of God as far as uh, helping the assembly and, and feeding the poor and so forth. He says no ordinary work, you know, work that you do for profit. It is a day of blowing the shofar for you, or the shofar. Verse 2, prepare a burnt offering, which is an offering that was totally consumed on the altar, to make a fragrant, fragrant aroma for Adonai. One young bull, one ram, and seven male lambs in the first year, and without defect. Verse 3, with their grain offering, consisting of fine flour mixed with olive oil, six quarts for the bull, four quarts for the ram, and two quarts for each of the seven lambs. It's amazing. They did a lot of giving, a lot of sacrificing on these days, and... Really, Leviticus chapter 23 gives you a brief description of observing these days, but Numbers 28 and 29 goes into detail what you do on these days as far as giving and sharing your possessions. Um, verse 4, and, and two quarts for each of the seven lambs, verse 5, also one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. This is to be in addition to the burnt offering for Rosh Hardish, which is the new moon, with his grain offering, the, the regular burnt offering with his grain offering, and the drink offerings according to the rule for them, this will be a fragrant aroma, an offering made by fire to Adonai. So, you know, this is a very interesting scripture. It reminds me of another one, if I can find it here, about what Paul said in relations to um, getting help from a... Uh, a member, or a, a believer, I'm trying to say that, and he associated this with um, sacrifice. Let's see if I can find it here. If I can't, I'll quote it next week. I think it's in here somewhere. Let's see. But anyway, the, these sacrifices, they do represent they do represent the fact that we need to, to share what we have with our fellow man. And many people, they, they correctly uh, look at the sacrifice. Yes, it did picture Yeshua. It did picture Yeshua. But, but, it also pictures the fact that we need to be sharing and caring for each other. Here we go. I found it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. Oh, here we go. Let me, uh, and this day pictures this as well, folks. Philippians 4, verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the day, early days of my work spreading the good news, when I left Macedonia, not a single congregation shared with me in a matter of giving and receiving, only you. So even back then, you know, Paul, and I can relate to this today, people don't give like they should. It says, when I left, which confirms Malachi chapter 3, uh, when I left 
Macedonia is not a single congregation shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, only you. And he wrote, wrote this to the Philippians. Uh, and then Philippians 4, verse 6, Indeed, in Thessalonica, when I needed it, you sent me aid twice. Verse 17, I am not seeking the gift. Rather, I am looking for what will increase the credit balance of your account. Verse 18, I have been more than paid in full. I have been filled since I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, one that pleases God well. Okay, so... Whenever you give, that's what it pictures. It pictures giving and sharing and caring. And that's what you should be doing, not only on this day, but all days. A daily sacrifice is, again, a sacrifice is a, is a burnt offering, but it's a sacrifice. And we should have that sacrificial attitude of sharing and caring for people. And, of course, the daily sacrifices were done first before the other sacrifices during the day and then at the close of all those sacrifices you had the you have the evening you have the evening sacrifice and you have the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice and then you had other sacrifices in between and this is described in more detail in the templeinstitute.org website so it goes into detail and explains numbers 28 and, and numbers 29 and it has graphical um representation there, pictures of what was really occurring back then. So I really implore that you study that. Now, in Nehemiah, or Nehemiah chapter 8, chapter 8 is an interesting scripture here. Let's see. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now, this pictures when uh, King Cyrus announced that the Jews can return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple because it was destroyed, remember, by the king of Babylon. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, in the complete Jewish Bible version, for clarity's sake, it says, All the people gathered with one accord in the open space in the front of the water gate and asked Ezra, the Torah teacher, to bring the scroll of the Torah of Moshe, or Moses, which Adonai had commanded Israel. This is a complete Jewish Bible version. Verse 2, Ezra the Cohen, or he's the priest, brought the Torah before the assembly, which consisted of men, women, and all children old enough to understand. It was the first day of the seventh month. This is what this pictures. It pictures Teshuva, repenting, coming back to Elohim. That's what it pictures. Or Yehovah. Or Yahovah or Yahweh. <laughs> All right, so Nehemiah, or Nehemiah 8, verse 3. Facing the open space in the front of the water gate, he read from it to the men, the women, and the children who could understand from early morning until noon. So from early morning, it looks like this was approximately six hours that they were reading from the Torah. And all the people listened attentively to the scroll of Torah. Verse 4. Ezra, the Torah teacher, stood on a wood platform or a pulpit, which they had made for the purpose. Beside him on, on his right stood Matayaya, Shema, and all the rest of his uh, uh, assistants here. And verse 5, Ezra opened a scroll where all the people could see him because he was higher than all the people when he opened it and all the people rose at their feet. Ezra blessed the Lord, 
the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, as they lifted up their hands, bowed their heads, and fell prostrate before Adonai with their faces to the ground. And let me read this in the King James Version here. And then and Jeshua and Bani and, and so forth, and, and his assistants, and the Levites calls the people, and that's what the Levites do. Uh, they calls the people to understand the law, the Torah, and the people stood in their place. And in verse 8, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctively. All right, I just had... Um, Someone tell me that the internet went off, but uh, let me uh, get back into uh, this Bible study because I know you can still listen to this. And um, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Verse eight. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctively, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. All right. So that's the important thing there to understand that um, that calls them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the which is the Tushata and Ezra the priest, the scribe and Levites that taught the people, said unto the people, The day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Verse ten. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. So the day of trumpets is holy, and all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. And verse 13, on the second day, this is the second day after the festival of trumpets, or Yom Teror, were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, and to Ezra, the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and Jerusalem, saying, Go forth into the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees and make booths as it is written. And this is talking about uh, to dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. It's talking about the festival of Sukkot, which we will get into. But I just wanted to, to help you to understand that this day also is a day of Bible study, of focusing on uh, doing what you need to do to be close to um, Elohim, Yahweh, and or Yahweh. So that that's important for you to understand that. I just thought I would bring that up. Okay, so now what I want to emphasize is that Messiah will fulfill Yom Teror. Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, Sukkot, and Shemini Atzeret, which is the last great day. He will fulfill that in the future. And uh, Isaiah chapter 11 and the book of Revelation picture the fulfillment of these fall holy days of Elohim. And uh, I wanted to tell you briefly what these days represent, what this day in particular, Yom Teror, represents according to 
uh, Chabad.org, and it'll explain how to observe this day as well. And it says, uh, how is Rosh Hashanah observed? It says, an overview of Rosh Hashanah's traditions and customs. This is from Chabad.org, C as in cat, H as in hope, A-B-A-D.org. It says, the two-day festival of Rosh Hashanah is observed on the first and second days of Tishri. In the Hebrew, Rosh Hashanah means literally the head of the year, as its name indicates. It is the beginning of the Jewish year, uh, actually the, the beginning of the uh, secular year, uh, the anniversary of the creation of Adam and Eve. It is the birthday of mankind, highlighting the special relationship between God and humanity. The primary theme of the day is our acceptance of God as our king. The Kabbalists teach that the renewal of God's desire for the world and thus the continued existence of the universe is dependent upon this. We accept God as our king, and God is aroused once again with the desire to continue creating the world for, for one more year. And this is interesting because, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll quote this after I get done reading this. It says, much of the day is spent in synagogue, or uh, most uh, most messianic believers or, or believers... Uh, that believe that we should keep the entire commandments of God in the Torah, uh, don't fellowship with Jews because, you know, many Jews still believe uh, incorrectly that Yeshua is not the Messiah. But anyway, uh, for those who are fortunate enough to be able to fellowship with Jews, you can if if they won't uh, uh, persecute you for your beliefs that Yeshua is the Messiah. But anyway, much of the day is spent in synagogue or messianic synagogue or an assembly in the homes of other people like the first century uh, assembly. God not only desires to have a world with people, God wants an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. In addition to the collective respects of Rosh Hashanah worship, each man and woman personally asks God to accept the coronation, thus creating the bond of we are your people and you are our king. The central observance of Rosh Hashanah is the sounding of the shofar, the ram's horn. The shofar is sounded uh, on both days of Rosh Hashanah unless the first day of the Holiday falls on Shabbat, in which case we only sound the shofar on the second day. The founding of the shofar represents, among other things, the trumpet blast of a people's coronation to their king. The cry of the shofar is also a call to repentance, for Rosh Hashanah is also the anniversary of man's first sin and his repentance thereof, and serves as the first of the ten days of repentance, which will culminate in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So it begins the ten days of all of repentance, uh, begins on uh, Yom Teror, or the Festival of Trumpets, and it ends on Yom Kippur. Altogether, we listen to 100 shofar blasts over the course of Rosh Hashanah service. Additional Rosh Hashanah observances include we eat a piece of apple dipped in honey to symbolize our desire for a sweet year, as well as many other special foods. So you could get a, a piece of apple, dip it in honey, and uh, desire for a sweet year. All have special significance and symbolize sweetness, blessings, and abundance. We bless one another with the words, May you be inscribed and sealed for a good year. We go to a lake river to the sea and recite the Tashlik prayers, which we symbolically cast our sins into the water and evocation of the verse, And you shall cast their sins into the depths of the sea. We leave our old shortcomings behind us, thus starting the new year with a clean slate. As with every major Jewish holiday, women and girls light candles on each evening of Rosh Hashanah and recite the appropriate blessings. After the prayers each night and morning, we recite Kiddush on wine, making a blessing over Chala 
and enjoy a festive repast. Chala means the, the bread uh, that is used for the kiddish and, and the wine. Okay, so uh, that's how you properly observe the day. And I just want to focus on the fact that the Festival of Trumpets is a part of the, the summary of the Messiah. Why did the Messiah come? Let's briefly go over that. Uh, in John chapter 1, is a beautiful verse, and it really summarizes the work of the Messiah. John chapter 1, verse 29. says, The next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. All right, so that pretty much summarizes what why the Messiah was uh, born and created to be able to take away the sins of the world. First John, First John chapter three. First John chapter three, verse five. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, as I just stated. He was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And in verse 8, he that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. So the Messiah was manifested to destroy the works of the devil and to destroy the devil himself. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, Zillius of good works. So let's let's focus on this scripture again. Uh, Titus 2, verse 14, who gave himself for us, it's talking about the Messiah, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zillias of good works. So that's the goal, is to get us to be zillias of good works. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 21. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. So, you have a dichotomy here. You have um, the man Adam. Death was brought into the world because of Adam's sin. All right, so that's one of the things that we have to understand, that death was brought into the world because of Adam's sin. It says, by man also the resurrection of the dead. But the dichotomy of that, or the opposite of that, is the man, Yeshua, or Jesus, he is the catalyst for the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 23, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Verse 24, then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. For he, the Messiah, must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. 
and most people don't conceptualize the following to be an enemy. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So death will be destroyed. Sin will be destroyed because death is caused by sin. Verse 27, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. Verse 28, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son of Man himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Okay? So that is the overall goal of the Messiah, is to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy the devil himself. And when you destroy the devil, you effectively destroy death. Because he is the god of death. That's what Hasatan or the devil is. He is the god of death. And us, all he is about is destroying people and, and, and trying to cause you to, to sin so that you can ultimately die. And, you know, there's some people that think that uh, sin doesn't cause death. But it does. It, it, this scripture states here. Uh, I'm trying to find in Ezekiel chapter 18 where it says the soul that sins it shall die. Uh, it doesn't give you, it just says sins. It doesn't tell you that some sins will kill you and some won't. Uh, the only sins that won't kill you are the ones that you repent of. But if you continue to sin, um, you will die according to what the scripture says. I'm trying to find uh, scripture here that says that. Ezekiel here. It's a pretty plain statement from him about sin. Yes, uh, Ezekiel chapter eighteen, verse twenty. The souls that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It doesn't give any type of. Well, this sin will cause you to die, but this sin won't. No, it says the soul that sins, it shall die. If you continue to sin, no matter what the sin is. You will die. And then in, in James, cause, you know, I have, as one in particular, no thinks this, but it's an error. Uh, it's an error in his thinking. Uh, James chapter 2 states right here, verse 10, For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. So, for he that said to do not commit adultery, also said do not kill. Now, if, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art a transgressor of the law. So, you know, we, we have to keep the whole law to our best of our abilities. That's the point I'm trying to make. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, states, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and have brought life and immortality light through the gospel. Okay, so that's what the gospel is about. Uh, sorry for that noise. I don't... <laughs> Um apologize for that if you hear that. Okay, let's stop now. But anyway, Second uh, Timothy 1, verse 10, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who have abolished death and have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is about that. It's a message of life, immortal life, uh, which we don't have yet. So anyway, let, let me go briefly in the, in the limited time I have here. Uh, the sequence... Uh, that the Holy Days picture, uh, you have Passover, it pictures the Messiah's death and mankind's deliverance through him. The door of immortality is open again to all of mankind. This is, this is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. 
who only has immortality, dwelling in a light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. So right now, only Yeshua, as a human being, that was resurrected, he's the only one that has immortality, despite what people think. Uh, Yom Hapikarim, which is the day of the wave sheaf offering to, or first fruits. Yeshua is the first to rise from the dead. He already did that. Shavuot, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Messiah's followers so that Torah can be obeyed. This will be fulfilled in a mighty way when the Messiah comes again, as Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32 reveals. Now, you look closely look at Leviticus chapter 23, after Shavuot, um, there's a gap. And prophetically, it's like a gap of 2,000 years. God, through the Holy Spirit, is sowing and reaping true believers to rule with him in the kingdom of God. And uh, the scriptures that um, shed light on this is 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 to 29, Revelation chapter 3, verses 21 to 22, Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, Daniel 7, verses 17 to 18, 22, 26 to 28. Now, the great multitude is part of the great harvest that will be gathered into the kingdom of God in the 21st century. Um, this great multitude is uh, found in Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 11 to 17, Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. Now, this is the key characteristics of believers. This is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 16, and Luke 6, verses 20 to 26. They are poor in spirit, and many of them are physically poor, meaning uh, we don't have great possessions or lots of houses and clothes and cars. Um, they mourn. They are meek, hunger, and thirst for righteousness. We, we starve for righteousness. We want to do the right thing. Righteousness is keeping God's commandments, which is found in Psalm 119. Verse 172, um, the pure in heart, they're peacemakers, and, of course, they're persecuted. Now, getting to Yom Teror, the Feast of Trumpets, the day pictures the seven trumpet plagues that are listed in Revelation chapter 8, 9, and culminating in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 and 19. Now, let me, before I forget here, in the, in the remaining ten minutes that I have here, I want to talk about, I want to talk about, um, the coronation of the Messiah, because that's what this day pictures too. Uh, in Daniel chapter seven, Daniel chapter seven, starting in verse uh, thirteen. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds. Well, actually, before that, I want to talk about what the Festival of Trumpets to Yom Kippur, Kippur, Yom Kippur I'm sorry, represents. Uh, Daniel 7, verse 9, I beheld, let me read this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, as I watched, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient One took his seat. That's the Father, God the Father. His clothing was white as snow, the hair on his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames with wheels of burning fire. Verse 10, a stream of fire flowed from his presence. Thousands and thousands ministered to him, millions and millions stood before him. Then the court was convened and the books were open. And Jews um, traditionally teach that this, is, this pictures uh, Yom Teror, the beginning of it. Uh, verse 12, as for the other animals, their rulership, 
was taken away. It's talking about the beasts uh, that are spoken about in Daniel chapter 7. That's not a Bible study. But their lives are prolonged for a time in the season. Verse 13, I kept watching the night visions when I saw coming with the clouds of heaven someone like a son of man, which is the Messiah. He approached the Ancient One and was led into His presence. So for people that think that Yeshua and, and the Father are one being, this throws that theory away in a garbage can, basically. Um, verse 14, to Him was given rulership, glory, and a kingdom, so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. Again, to Him was given rulership, glory, and a kingdom, so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His rulership is an eternal rulership that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So that's what this picture is too, the coronation of the king, as as the Jews correctly um, interpret it uh, based on the article I read to you. Okay, and let me quote this scripture here. Well, first, let me quote the scripture when the devil had tempted Yeshua, for you to understand this here. Uh, Luke chapter 4. And this is uh, when he was uh, tempted by Hasatan and the devil. Uh, Luke 4, verse 1, in the complete Jewish Bible for, version. Then Yeshua, filled with the Rauch HaKadosh, um, returned from the garden and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, so let, let's understand that um, in reference to what's going on here. He's, he's getting ready to be tempted uh, by the devil. And all kinds of <laughs> uh, uh, actually uh, temptations is going to uh, tempt the Messiah, the Rayuk, Ruach rather, the Ruach Hakadosh. I'm still learning Hebrew first. The Ruach Hakadosh, that's Hebrew for Holy Spirit. So then Yeshua filled with the Ruach Hakadosh returned from the garden and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Uh, verse two for forty days of testing by the adversary. During that time, he ate nothing, and afterwards he was hungry. And the adversary said to him, If you are the Son of God, order this stone to become bread. Yeshua answered him, The Tanakh says, Man does not live on bread alone. And this day pictures that as well. The uh, day of Trump is not today, but either uh, on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. Um, it states uh, in verse 4 that... Uh, we should not live by bread alone. Verse 5, An adversary took him and showed him and answered all the kingdoms of the world. Verse 6, And he said to him, I will give you all this power and glory. It has been handed over to me, and I can give it to whoever I choose. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. So so th this tells you something, folks, that <laughs> right now the devil is the ruler of this world. And Yeshua did not argue with him about that. He did not argue with him about that. So uh, it's, it's amazing but true that the Bible tells you that he is the God of this world, basically. He's the God of this world, and um, he, what he effectively does is blind the minds of people to not understand the Bible. That's what he does. So that's unfortunate. And verse and Second Corinthians four verse four says, "In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not." So that's talking about, of course, uh, the devil, because God is not going to purposely blind your mind to the truth like the devil would. 
Okay, so I, I'm quoting that scripture so you can understand this one in Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 15. I have about four minutes left here. Um, states here, And the seven angels sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And in verse 16, And the four and twenty elders were sat before God on their seats, fell on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and his reign. And the nations were angry. They weren't happy. They were angry, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead, the resurrection, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, to prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. So it will be a time of destruction for folks, great destruction. Verse 19, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's also good news for, for the saints when this happens. says in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, uh, in the King James Version, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and as mortal must put on immortality, proving that none of us have immortality other than Yeshua, verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy strength? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Festival of Trumpets, um, Yom Teror, Rosh Hashanah, also pictures the resurrection, the first roots of the first roots, which is a a, a, um, a preview of what's going to happen to uh, those that are part of mankind that are righteous. We all will be changed and will have a spirit body, and we will all dwell with the Father and the Messiah. That's what this day, this day pictures the initiation of. So that is what this day is all about, folks. I hope you understand what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Teruah is all about. I tried to explain it as simple as I can, how to celebrate it. Uh, you should assemble with people on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, if you guys want to know exactly which day uh, you should take off, uh, you can email me at canard at mercifulservantsofgod.com. I'm keeping in touch with Nehemia Gordon. Uh, he will be going to Jerusalem to sight the, the moon, so we'll know exactly what day uh, we need to take off to do this. So um, let's really keep Yom Teror and, and realize that you know God wants to dwell with us. And he wants to be our king. Let's accept him as our king. Let's um, repent. Uh, let's get wickedness out of our minds because... Elohim does not give us the Holy Spirit unless we obey him. That's found in Acts 5, verse 32. Let's get all the sin out of our minds. Let's put it in the, in the river. Uh, 
let's do what we need to do, folks, to to be able to um, be lights to the world. And I leave you with this scripture here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Verse 2, it says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise, let's be wise, shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So, may Elohim bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available next week, and I'm going to talk about Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, uh, next week. Shalom. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.